Hey, y'all. I'm Ashley. And I'm Ash. And you're listening to Hex Girlfriends. So we're going on vacation soon together. Yes, we are. I cannot wait. I'm counting down the days. Me too. Me too. Um, I'm also planning to pack lots of snacks, including root beer and butterscotch dum-dums, because I know you won't touch them. Girl, you go right ahead. I told you, I tried to get you to take some circus peanuts the other day because it would <laughs> blend right on in with your grandma candy. Listen, I will eat all the grandma candy, but if you give me a circus peanut, I will smack it out of your hands. How the fuck is that even edible? It's just, it's literally like packing peanuts. That's what I think of when I see those things. It's silly putty in a peanut <laughs> No circus oh. peanuts on the trip to NOLA. Please. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we're going to New Orleans and Ash is going to make sure she brings all the Fig Newtons. They have so many flavors of fit. You, you know what? I won't force you. But yeah, <laughs> we're going to New Orleans. We've got matching t-shirts. Can't fucking wait um oh those t-shirts are gonna be bad ass i can't wait for y'all to see them speaking of trips new orleans is on the water you know what else is on the water i'll tell you what's on water jesus i was gonna say jesus walking on water (laughs) how did you know that's what i was gonna say i just that's where my brain went (laughs) (laughs) new Um, orleans and jesus are both on the water yeah so what okay ash what else is on the water i'm dying to know the beautiful outer banks of north carolina god mm-hmm. i want to go there i do too love the show i've never seen the show but i've seen pictures and i really think i want to go i want to go to there the beautiful outer banks they're in north carolina and it's a view that's basically 360 degrees of just sand dunes and open ocean uh, you know anywhere you turn water Um, Which is crazy because I'm terrified of water, but the view seems incredible. You know, another reason I'd love to visit, that's where one of America's earliest mysteries took place. Okay, what is it? The suspense is killing me. (laughs) It is the lost colony of Roanoke. (gasps) Yes. Okay, I don't know a whole lot about this other than what I was taught in school or what I wasn't taught in school. And really all I know is the little bit that I learned in school and then the shitty season of AHS that Ryan Murphy put out. So (laughs) it wasn't great, Ryan. It wasn't great. Sorry. (laughs) So, you know, just a disclaimer from the top friends, this is going to be more of a historical episode. I told Ashley ahead of time that I, I think that pop culture give us a certain idea about Roanoke, but it's actually a a much different story. And it's very interesting. So relax and enjoy that's right let ash read y'all a story so 23 years before the establishment of jamestown and the 13 british colonies that now make up british columbia queen elizabeth i started throwing around the idea of colonizing and the idea was to create a base or a hub for ships while seizing wealth from spanish and french ships at sea and bringing it home to the motherland, to the queen. This was called privateering. Some people might think it's piracy, but the difference between piracy and privateering is that the seizing wasn't done for personal gain, but rather for their country, aka the queen. The privateers were allowed to keep a fraction of the loot that they seized, but because they shared it with the queen, they weren't considered or labeled pirates. Now, 
Queen Elizabeth sent some scouts out to the new world to look for the most perfect place for this hub. And she turned to her right-hand man, Sir Walter Raleigh. He had zero experience, but because she adored him, he was tasked with sending out the scouting expedition for finding this new hub. Gotcha. Captain Arthur Barlow and Captain Philip Amatis were going to lead this scouting expedition. And the goal was to find the most fruitful and conveniently located piece of land. And they did. They came back exclaiming that they had found the perfect spot. It was bountiful and had everything they needed to successfully set up a colony and live off the land. Barlow brought back from this expedition two local natives. So when they were there, not only was the land fruitful and looked like a great place, the people that lived there were also great. They were extremely friendly. They fed them. They gave them tips and tricks on survival on the island. They created a really great relationship from the start. Such a great relationship, in fact, that they were going to bring two natives back to England with them. Manio from the Croatan tribe and Wachis from the Algonquin tribe. And they were going to go back to England to meet the English court. Manio was the son of a female Croatan tribe leader at the time, and Wachis would be the last known ruler of Roanoke. So two pretty important people. Manio was arguably the foremost example of positive race relations in early American history. He was so eager to learn English and about the English people, and all documented accounts really portray him to be a true gem, somebody that the English were lucky to have met, to have been their first encounter with. He would ultimately become the translator between native tribes and English settlers when they get back to Roanoke. Wachis, on the other hand, he slept with one eye open. Even though he was there willingly, he did not trust the English and their motives with this new world. Understandably and rightfully so. I mean, that was his people's land. And now you've got these strangers who are like rabbits. There's a million of them everywhere in comparison to the population in North America where he was from. Can you imagine from his perspective seeing England? No, you're talking about somebody that has been somewhere that is out of this world. It'd be like us visiting the moon. Couldn't even fathom in your head. And then you're taking this all in. Yeah, the future. Like you're taking this all in for the first time. I couldn't imagine what was going through his head. I would sleep with one eye open too. Yeah, it'd be like if fucking aliens came down here and started setting shit up we were the original aliens we as in those of european descent um (laughs) yep you know the english had homes marketplaces pubs unlike anything either you know him or or manio had ever seen before and i imagine it was extremely overwhelming you know and quite frankly the idea of this you know coming back to their quiet simple way of living off the land was probably off-putting in a way Walter Raleigh, the right-hand man, he was in charge of housing Manio and Wachis during their time in England. They were treated kindly. They were given a great experience in England before it was time to come back home. The queen issued a charter for Raleigh in 1585. So this was going to be a couple years later. And it was time for Raleigh to assemble a fleet to go back to Roanoke to begin colonizing. But because he was her right-hand man, He was not allowed to leave. She was extremely fond of him, which makes me wonder, girl, was he your man's? I was going to say fond. I mean, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I feel like there was a little bit more to that story that we did not know. I think you might be right. Those are the vibes. He begins gathering the fleet where Ralph Lane, Sir Francis Drake, and a man named John White would captain the expedition 
and bring back to Roanoke with them Manio and Wachis. Lane was a major dickhead. Okay, I wrote that down. Big time penis face. When they're back on Roanoke Island, they immediately set up their quote unquote permanent colony, but soon realized they were fucked. A fire destroyed much of their supply as well as one of their ships, and that threw a major wrench in their plan. During this time, the local indigenous tribes were extremely generous. But no matter how generous, Ralph Dickhead Lane wanted more. Like all other dickheads. Like all other dickheads. <laughs> just wasn't satisfied with, with good, wasn't good enough. And anytime they ran out of food and needed items, he'd force the native's hand or he'd resort to violence. And so this began the fucked up abusive relationship between the natives and the English in Roanoke. Imagine what it could have been without that motherfucker. Imagine what it could have been. You know, they were off to a great start and then he mm -hmm. came in swinging his dick around. Yeah, yep. chaos and history all because of a, the dick swinging. Keep it in your pants, Lane. <laughs> Keep it in your pants, Lane. So that's the start of, of the fucked up relationship between the natives and the English. He'd get violent. He'd fuck shit up. He'd kill their people. And then he'd have to apologize and make amends. And then he'd fuck up and do it again. And then he'd have to apologize again. So by 1587, it was a huge fucking shit show. And Lane took his ass on back home. Bye. Bye. Don't let the gangway hit you on the ass on the way out. <laughs> That's right. But not before stating that he was going to leave behind 15 settlers, despite some protests from the crew. Ultimately, they just left 15 people there. Wow. It's important to note here that so many stories as told by white man painted these native indigenous people to be ruthless, barbaric, territorial, when in all actuality, they were extremely generous to some really awful people and they were forced to be generous. They, By all accounts, they were like excited, you know, with that first expedition that came, it was mm -hmm. like, like I said, Manio was so enthralled by the English and learning the English language and being the translator. Lane really fucked that up for them. All that you know, hard work. All that know. hard work. So, you know, without the natives, there's absolutely no way these white people would have survived. You can imagine the state in which Lane left, leaving behind 15 white settlers. It probably wouldn't bode well. And again, understandably so. After returning home, explaining they didn't have supplies and what they needed to sustain in Roanoke, a second charter was ordered. And it was during this charter that John White would return to Roanoke. He was one of Lane's and he did protest leaving behind their 15 people. He was like, bro, we can't do this. And they were like, you know, tough shit. We're leaving them there. How were you picked to be one of the 15 that gets left behind? Like uh, you draw straws? Like what the hell? Yeah. Like what? How did? Why me, sir? And it was during the second charter that John White would return to Roanoke with approximately 115 people, including his pregnant daughter, Eleanor White, and his wife, Ananias Dare. When they arrived for the last time at Roanoke, May of 1587, throwing all of Ralph Lane's barbaric bullshit to the side, they were welcomed again by the natives, and the colony was immediately set up, rebuilding what they could from what had been left. Again, White was one of those that protested leaving behind those 15 settlers I mentioned, and when he gets back, they're nowhere to be found. Some stories I read say, you know, they stumble across some bones, and they're like, well, who dat? Is that a femur? Yeah. Basically. And White quickly makes contact with Manio upon arrival, and he learns that the 15 had been killed by hostile warriors. Like I mentioned previously, with the way that Ralph Lane left things, 
it's no wonder. Mm-hmm. It's no that, surprise. That, yeah. I, I don't, I don't blame them for what happened because I'm sure they were enraged by how many of theirs that he had killed. So, um, yeah, this caused even more issues between everyone because now everyone's gone and killed someone else's people. And so White tries to stage a retaliation and, and per his writings. Now, I should note that he was an excellent artist and he documented very well from and his can, perspective. Can we see any of those today? Yeah, his um. so his drawings are actually on or drawings, excuse me, his paintings are actually on display at a museum somewhere in England. I did read that. I, I don't know exactly where I'd have to look it back up. But yeah, even on some of the Wikipedia pages, like the sketches that you see of Manio, for example, mm-hmm. are, are ones that John White did. Very cool. Yeah. White tries to stage a, a retaliation per some of his writings. He was deceived and accidentally, quote unquote, attacked a group of friendlies, which would then steadily deteriorate the good relations that had previously been built. This attack took place on August 8th of 1857. On August 18th, so 10 days later, Eleanor would give birth to the first English child born in the New World, and that was Virginia Dare. Can you imagine? I know I say that all the time. Can you imagine? But that's how I really feel. I mean, think about putting yourself in her shoes and how terrifying that would be. Yeah, dude, having a baby in in the basic wilderness. Yeah, it would be wild. Um, Animals, there's all kinds of stuff you have to worry about. Weather conditions. Weather, the element. You're in a place that you've never been. You don't know what to expect weather-wise. Yep, and they call this Hurricane Alley today. So there's that too. White was elated by this, you know, what a claim to fame, the first English child born in the new world. But that excitement would soon wear off given the stressed relations between the native tribes and the fact that things were back to being rough as fuck. I'm talking within days after they were back to having jack shit as far as supplies go. They couldn't rely on the natives anymore because they went and fucked that whole thing up. So White has no choice but to immediately leave his newborn granddaughter, Eleanor, and his wife and head back to England to do another supply run. What he didn't realize, though, is that that would be the last time that he would ever see any of them again oh my god so when john white left roanoke it was august of 1587 he anticipated you know normal travel time to get to england restock and get back to roanoke right Uh uh-huh wrong upon arrival he learned the mission for supplies would be delayed because the spanish armada was allegedly planning to attack england and they did what a shit time to come back. Yep. What a shit time to come back. You, you're not communicating. with you. There's no communications going back and forth here. So they had no way of knowing that this is what was going on back home. You can imagine that he was not pleased to hear this because he was only planning for this to be a quick round trip. But Queen Elizabeth had other plans. She ordered all ships to get ready because shit's about to go down. And he had no choice but to stay and wait until granted permission by the queen to sail back to Roanoke. Turns out he'd be waiting for three fucking years. No. Yeah. I didn't think you were going to stay that long. Yeah. He was not allowed to leave for three years. What do you think was going on through his head that whole time? First of all, they needed these supplies in 1587. It's now 1590. 
Oh my gosh. Did he expect them to be thriving off the land, relying (laughs) on the natives or just dead? Because if it's me, I'd be thinking, well, shit, I'm going to come back and everybody's going to be dead. They'd have to be. They've been right on me for three years. years. Yeah, exactly. That kind of guilt he would have to carry. I imagine that he thought about it every single day. Um, So in the summer of 1590, he was granted permission to return back with the supplies that he was supposed to bring back in 1587. John appears to be more optimistic than my pessimistic ass because he was <laughs> heading back after three years getting ready to see everybody and greet them with supplies. In March of 1590, he was given two ships, the Hopewell. Hopeless. Um, yeah, more like the Hopeless and uh, the Moonlight, which were both packed with supplies and sent back to Roanoke. But it would appear that this trip back was doomed from the start. Between privateering and bad weather, he wouldn't be able to immediately set foot on Roanoke. He was anchored out at sea for, for a little while. Seven crew members also drowned during this time frame. So not great. Not a great start. But, you know, aside from the whole being three years late. <laughs> While he was anchored out at sea, he could see black smoke from the banks, which gave him hope that he would soon be reunited with his family and the other settlers. So once the weather settled, they anchored and they stepped foot back on Roanoke, only to find the smoke they'd seen was just remnants of burning piles of leaves. And nothing else. And nothing else. It wasn't like somebody set a fire. Yeah. Who burnt the leaves? Excellent question. Who burnt the leaves? You think lightning struck something and it was totally possible or heat, you know, because it's, you know, it's It's summer, summertime wildfires or something. Yep. All it was, was a burning pile of leaves and the colony was completely deserted. The homes had been deconstructed and there was not a single soul in sight. Ironically, the date was Virginia Dare's third birthday to the exact date. No way. Yeah. No way. The day he steps foot back on Roanoke is August 18th, 1590. That, you can't tell me there's no connection and coincidence to that. That's wild. Seems now, when you say, you know, deconstructed, do they look like they were demolished or do they look like they, someone neatly took them down with a plan or were they just like knocked the hell down? I don't think they were destroyed. Okay. That's, that's the difference here is it's written as deconstructed not destroyed like they were like maybe moving and so they didn't need that anymore so they just took it down it looks like they were taken down with intent now whether that was by them or whether that was by natives on the island we don't know but they were taken down in a manner that appeared that they were being utilized elsewhere okay it's august 18th 1590 they don't see anybody anywhere Everything has been deserted. Things are rotting. There's uh, metal items that were left behind are rusting, like, you know, three years worth of rusting. They, they searched every inch of this island and they found absolutely no trace of human beings. It's as if they completely disappeared into thin air. There was no trash. There was no bones. You know, the only thing they had were the deconstructed homes that were left so it looked like basically it had been frozen in time. I can't imagine the pit in his stomach. Oh, yeah. Like, where the fuck are they? The excitement building up, getting there, you mm-hmm. know, and you know, you're looking forward to it. And 
you know, your loved ones you hadn't seen in three years, only to get there and everything is gone. Everything's missing. Vanished. Yeah. Nothing to give you any kind of hope. Mm. They searched the woods and White came upon a tree with three letters. C-R-O carved into the tree. What does this mean? C-R-O. Because at the time, they didn't know the infamous word that's coming up next. Furthering their search, they came upon a post within their fort that had the full word Croatoan carved. Now, Croatan was the name of the tribe that Manio was part of. Okay. Croatoan was the name of a nearby island, which is known today as Hatteras Island. Um, It's essentially directly across from Roanoke. If you're on the actual beach Mm -hmm. of North Carolina and you're looking out at the Outer Banks, there's, you know, going to be an island to the right and there's going to be an island to the left, but they're, they're, they're far apart. Okay. Those were the two islands, Roanoke and Croatoan, which is Hatteras. And after searching every single inch of Roanoke and finding absolutely no clues other than the words carved, the weather picks up again, creating unbearable conditions for White and his crew. He throws the idea of searching the nearby islands out for the lost colonists and his family because they've already lost three of their four anchors to this storm and they couldn't afford to lose anymore. They had one anchor left. So the trip back to England takes about three months. It seems like they spent two days looking in August because they landed back in England in late October of 1590. What you going to get done in two days? Nothing. You know, a storm blew in and they said, well, we tried. The story goes that he sailed right past Croatoan or Hatteras Island without even stopping to check to see if anyone was there. And despite the quick decision to pack up and skedaddle, this was a personal tragedy for White on multiple levels. Losing the colony, Mm -hmm. but also losing his family and believing that they just truly disappeared. No one ever went back to Hatteras to check for the lost colonists. Why even go back if you're not even going to search for them? The weather, I guess. that it, it but had After to, it was gone, you know, because I mean, after a hurricane, you get the most beautiful weather. You know? There was never a charter to come back to Roanoke. I guess after three failed, you know, well, two technical failed attempts. The first one was just a scouting mission. But after two failed attempts and being away for three years and finding out that it's abandoned, maybe Queen Elizabeth was like, no, nah, we're not going back. Wow. So they weren't looking for him for very long before they got back on the boats, headed back to England. And, you know, on their way back, he sailed right past Croatoan without stopping. I don't like him anymore. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, he truly believes that they disappeared and nobody ever went back to look for them. And, you know, throughout history, they just they became deemed the lost colony of Roanoke, left with only the mysterious carving of Croatoan. So if you were to look up your family tree, your lineage, you wouldn't be able to trace yourself back to maybe that lost colony. I mean, maybe if you if you were able to trace yourself to John White. Oh, that's true. You know, but yeah. I don't know the manifest. Um, it's possible that there's a manifest of who was on board, but I, I don't know that to be true. But despite this idea that we seem to have when you hear the lost colony of Roanoke, everybody's like, oh, shit, that's, you know, those people just disappeared. There's, a, you know, there's all these crazy stories and stuff. 
I didn't find anything like that. Really? No. What I did find, though, was very interesting. Modern day archaeologists, historians, botanists, and geologists would dedicate their lives to solving this mystery throughout time. There are tales of light-eyed Croatoan that would be passed down through the years, giving credence to the idea that the lost colonists actually blended with the Croatoan tribe. Who knows? Virginia Dare may have, you know. I love that name. It's almost like a spy's name. I was going to say that. Yeah. Like a superhero name. So this gives us the idea that the lost colonists blended with the Croatoan tribe and survived by assimilating with the tribe. Um, the idea that the colonists disappeared without a trace is fascinating. But in reality, if you think about it, they did leave clues behind. It really seems like they were trying to say, hey, uh, we're just on the next island over, you know, come on over if you see this. Um, and they probably were over there waving their hands like, hey, well, the party's over here. Yeah. It's just like. Nah. seriously seriously <laughs> or or they were like inland to where they couldn't see the ships but i don't know so i'll just wrap this up by saying there are researchers out there like i said that have been dedicating their lives to trying to solve this mystery and explain that these people did not just you know rapture they did not just poof and be gone they weren't murdered by the natives there's a particular researcher named scott dawson and i highly recommend watch if you're interested in this piece of it um, the Lost Colony in Hatteras Island is a documentary where Scott Dawson, who's a Croatan tribe descendant and uh, several other English researchers and geologists, he's somebody who has put so much of his heart and soul and life into this because, again, he's a descendant of the tribe. He and his team believe that they, they've solved the mystery and they've put to bed this myth that these two people annihilated one another. Um, again, that they just disappeared into thin air, et cetera. And rather he believes that they, they lived a blended harmonious life together on Hatteras. And after multiple archeological digs, they found a lot of shit. They went and they didn't dig on Roanoke because that wouldn't, that wouldn't benefit them. They wanted to look specifically on Hatteras or at the time Croatoan to see what artifacts they could potentially find that would explain that Englishmen had been there. And so some of the findings that they found, I mean, they found like a rose shaped metal object that I believe was, it was a symbol at the time uh, under Queen Elizabeth's rule. There was okay. a part of a dagger or a sword that was found. There were several items that were found. There was like a slate and I don't know if it was a lead pencil, but it was whatever they used at the time to write on a slate mm -hmm. tablet with. These mm -hmm. are all items that belonged to white English settlers. These were not items that belonged to the Croatians. Yes. Right. Okay. So it had to be the Lost Colonies uh, stuff. Exactly. So Longings. that's why he believes that this is no mystery at all. And he really is just with the documentary is trying to spread the idea that they really lived in love rather than hate. Oh, that's um, wonderful. I mean, at least that's what I hope. Yeah, that's what he hopes too. And again, he's a Croatan descendant. So he thinks that history was painted in a in a completely wrong way and that they lived harmoniously together. They they have all this this proof that the colonists did in fact move over to Hatteras when they couldn't hack it on Roanoke waiting for John White to return after three years. And the colonists were never lost at all. They were just simply overlooked and forgotten as time went on. So it's more like the forgotten colony of Roanoke. Exactly.
there's lots of different versions out there. So that's, that's interesting. I'm totally glad that you picked that one. Now, what about this made you decide to go this route for this story? Well, so I've always heard the lost colony of Roanoke were a people that just disappeared, vanished off the face of the earth. No one has any idea wherever they went, you know, and then the the different folklore that's been spun up around it. Mm -hmm. Again, the season of AHS Roanoke, I found to be fascinating just because the idea that these people like turned into these crazy murderous ghosts was funny and entertaining. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I'm a history lover and I'm really just wanted to research the story and see what kind of spooky stuff I could come up with. And it turns out that I stumbled on this lost colony and had her asylum documentary that told what actually had, like they were finally able to figure out what truly happened. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just got to tell it. This was more of a debunking episode, a little bit of a history lesson. And it's kind of like you were on a mission to find the truth. Exactly. For those of you out there that are writing stories, write the spooky stories about Mm -hmm. the vanished people of Roanoke, because I'm here for it. Now, if you're just joining in, (laughs) this is your first episode. We have hoots that go on at the end of our episodes. And that is because my mama always told me if the owl hoots your name three times, you gonna die, bitch. (laughs) Goodbye.